All right, well, we, we sung about Jesus, we praised Jesus, now we're going to talk about Jesus. Y'all cool with that? Yes, I mean, what else are we going to talk about, right? Uh, we, what else is there? I mean, where else are we going to go? That's what the, the disciples were saying. Do you, what do you think? What, you going to leave me too? You have to eat, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and everybody left, and they're like, you going to leave too? Where else are we going to go? That's kind of weird what you just said, but where else are we going to go? Where are we going to go? Who else is there? What's, what else is there for us? And so uh, I'm, I'm just blown away at, at how even specifically our worship team last week and this week too, we don't, I don't know if you know this, but we don't really get together on what they're going to sing and what I'm going to teach. And they'll confirm that. I'm not lying to you. Hopefully you trust me anyway. Uh, but we don't, but nearly every Sunday what they sing about goes right along with what I'm going to be talking about, which thankfully our, our worship and most of our messages are Christ-centered, so it's pretty easy to sing and talk about the same thing. But specifically, I mean specific topics even sometimes, they'll, they'll hit those notes. And I'm like, ah, this is perfect. This leads right into what I want to talk about. So today's no exception. We want to talk about Jesus and what a, what a wonderful, powerful name it is. Um, and I told you guys last week, all of the, all of the headings above, you guys know that, that the Bible was broken down into specific scriptures for us to be able to find our way in it. They were actually letters, right? Y'all know that. And so all the numbers and the headings were put there for us to help navigate and find our place. The only problem is some of those headings are way off, like way off. And so I encourage you, and I do in mine, I scratch all those headings out, and I just put it's all about Jesus above it. And I'm serious, do that. Because what it does is it gives you proper perspective. Even all the Old Testament stories point towards Jesus. I promise you, I learned that by, by reading to our kids out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Awesome, awesome. Jesus Storybook Bible is awesome to read to kids. And I learned stuff from it. I was like, what? I thought it was just about a whale in Jonah. It was really about Jesus. And so you can learn, you can, you can learn if you replace those headings with it's all about Jesus, you will hopefully take the emphasis and the focus off of you and put it back to where it should be. And so I want to, and there's no exception today. I literally deleted every heading and put it's all about Jesus in front of each of these. And I'm trying to talk loud. I hope you guys can hear me. Everybody can hear me okay? I guess the speakers are out there, so I, all I hear is the rain. All right. Um, we're going to be in Luke, and we're going to bounce around a little bit. Uh, and I'm actually not going to read from the message just because it was all of these scriptures were so straightforward in NIV for me. Um, I like the message because it's real colorful. It explains the Greek a lot better in some instances. But most of these were so straightforward, I didn't really feel the need to. And uh, so I'm going to be in NIV. Luke 7.36 is where we're going to start. And I've, I titled this one title, and I scratched it down and titled something else. And so this message tentatively is a prostitute, a Samaritan, and a tax collector walk into a bar. <laughs> I like to put those on the internet when we put the podcast up because it piques people's curiosity. But it's still all about Jesus. I should name every title that. Luke 7.36 says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who, who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. 
So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love, will love him more? Simon replied, pretty honestly, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. He said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, I like how he did that. He turned toward the woman but said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Stop there. Her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Remember that. But whoever has forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Listen, what he was saying wasn't the amount of faith that you had saved you. He's saying your faith in me saved you. Your faith in Jesus saved you. And when he says go in peace, he's saying go in wholeness. Go in completeness now because you're not lacking anything. And so there's a, there's a beautiful picture here that's painted right before the Pharisees in front of Simon that, that is demonstrating this unconditional love that we've begun to really unpack the last few weeks of how God loves us and how... When, when he loves us, our response to that is to love other people. That they're not two separate things, but they actually go hand in hand. That they are inseparable. That we don't have the ability to love like that until God gives us that ability. We have the ability to love um, from a, a conditional standpoint or from even our own version of compassion. That's our own limited perspective. But from, from, from a way that God loves us, we don't have that capacity until he demonstrates it and shows us and gives it to us. And so this, this shows us it's an absolute supernatural thing that's happening here, right? This isn't just, and that's why they said, who is this who can forgive sins? This is radical talk. This is blasphemy to them. Who are you to say that you can forgive sins? And you guys remember we talked about this a few weeks ago when Jesus walked through a wall and told everybody to calm down. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and told them, listen, you go out of this place, and when you say someone's sins are forgiven, their sins are forgiven. He was telling people, he was telling the disciples that. He's telling us that. When you go out and you say people's sins are forgiven, their sins are forgiven. Because at the moment they believe that, their sins are forgiven. It's not that we, we carry that power, but we carry Holy Spirit with us. And now our words carry power. Now the Holy Spirit goes when we speak to people and it carries the truth. And when the truth hits people and they receive it and they have faith in Christ, now their sins are forgiven. And so people can say, well, you can't say that. Well, the Bible says that. Jesus said that. Because we want to put it off as though, okay, well, yeah, Jesus can do that, but not me. I, I can't. I don't have anything to do with that. But Jesus says, no, I've, I've, placed, I've placed my spirit in you. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So now you can go and do these things because now you carry Holy Spirit power with you all the time. You're walking, talking temples of the Holy Spirit. Not just in this building, but when you leave, you carry Holy Spirit with you. So what he's saying here is, look, these Pharisees were, were on a ranking system. We talked about this two weeks ago. You guys basically preached the whole message about treasures in heaven. Y'all remember that? Listen. We don't live Christianity out of selfish ambition so that we can gain some jewels in our crown when we get to heaven. It's completely counter to everything that Jesus said and did. It doesn't make any sense. But that's somehow how some people have managed to twist it into that. We make sacrifices now so that we can gain blessings in heaven. No, you are blessed in Christ in everything now. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now. You get to continue that when you go into heaven. But now, right now, you're blessed in Christ. Ah, I don't want to go off on this tangent, but... Maybe I will, briefly. 
a lot of people get caught up in eschatology and get, get caught up in the end times. I want to tell you that, that um, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I will tell you that the greatest thing to happen for us has already happened. And Jesus' second coming will not eclipse his first. And I'll leave that at that. We'll talk about that a different day. Listen, the greatest thing to ever happen for us has already happened. Jesus died for your sins, and you now have eternal life. Now, I live in great expectations to, to, to see Christ, whether he comes back before I die or to see him when I die and go to heaven. Either way, it doesn't matter to me. But the greatest thing is that I can actually do that, regardless of, of how it all works out in the end. And I'll leave that there because I don't want to go chase that rabbit too long. Um, so these guys pretty much put themselves in a position that they were better than this woman that came in here. And I'm going to tell you, um, there's different people. And in these stories, if we don't put that title before these, we can begin to, 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 to U-turn back, like boomerang back around and point towards us. Well, who am I in this story, right? Well, who, where do I fit in this story? Don't we do that a lot? Well, who am I in this story? Am I like, am I like Simon Peter judging her? Am I like her coming at, you know, at the feet of Jesus? Well, let's get off of that. Let's focus on Jesus again. These guys were, were trying to, to make levels out of this thing. The same thing we talked about a few weeks ago about treasures in heaven. They're trying to make ranking systems out of this. Well, this woman is obviously living in sin. They all knew her as a woman of the night. Um, they all knew her as a prostitute. And she comes in there and messes up a pretty peaceful dinner, to be honest. I mean, imagine, you know, in our day and time, if we're eating, eating around the table with Jesus and, and there are holy people in there, there are Pharisees in there, and Jesus is, is, is teaching in there, and a woman comes in and begins to weep. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm crying a little bit. There's enough to wash his feet with. So she is bawling, okay? She is disrupting their peaceful meeting. Think about that for a minute. There, she's pouring out perfume, like a bottle of perfume. This is like, uh, what's that place in the mall? Bath and Body Works, like times 10. Like, I, I start itching and crying before I walk in that place. It's like, oh, I can't take this. My kids call it hanitizers. They have to get some, and they open it in the car. I'm like, what is this smell? What are you doing this? Somebody opened up some coconut in here. Anyway, it, it, so she's pouring out perfume. She's disrupting a very structured, pretty decent little holy meeting that they're having in a teaching, right? This is, this is a bit of a mess. She's kind of messing stuff up. And what does Jesus do? He uses it as a demonstration of what, what his kingdom's like. And he, and, he demonstra- and he shows them, look, those, and I used to, I, I even jump on the bandwagon right away and I go, okay, well, those that have been forgiven much will love much. So, and I've heard people say this. I, I've heard people that have grown up in church feel like they need to go off on some sin streak so they can have a testimony. Have you ever heard that? Like I, need, like I don't feel like I've, I've been forgiven enough, right? I didn't have to do that because I was messed up real bad. <laughs> but here's the thing. I don't think that's the specific thing. I think he's trying to crush some of their ranking system here. I think what he's saying is my kingdom doesn't work like your kingdom. What he's saying is, listen, you guys, you guys see her as a sinner, and, and this is backed up by many other scriptures, but you're not seeing what you guys are dealing with. When he says, listen, it's not just about adultery, but it's about lust. It's not just about murder. It's about hating your brother. These are the same thing. You guys have heart issues, not just behavioral issues. Just because hers are a lot more obvious and you guys call her this, that doesn't separate your need for me. Remember, it's all about Jesus. We're coming back to him. I think what he's saying is you all have been forgiven much, and you all should be loving much. Think about that for a moment. He's not just saying 
that she has been forgiven much so that she will love much. He's demonstrating it so that they can see that they need him just as much as, as, as she does, and they should be loving her just as much as he does. Do you see it? He's not just saying it. He, he gives, instead of, instead of them expecting a good, uh, a good brunch, you know, at a, at a local restaurant, and not being disrupted by a prostitute coming in and crying and, and breaking her, her, her perfume all over him. Instead of that lesson, he gives them a real life lesson right in front of their faces. He says, you guys don't get it. You guys don't understand. You guys are, are, are just as depraved as she is. You guys have been forgiven just as much as she is. He's completely level in the playing field. And so he's showing them, you guys are missing the point. It's not just about you understanding what I'm saying. It's a demonstration of what my heart is like and what my father's heart is like. And this is how I operate all the time. We're going to jump forward a little bit to Luke 18, 9. This is a completely different story that goes along the same lines. Luke 18, 9 through 14. This is to some who are confident in their own righteousness. You can stop there and go, this is not going to end well. <laughs> it's face palm. To some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. <laughs> Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector right here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you see it? Now, we can, we can do the same thing with this if you want to take a heading and put it in front of it other than it's all about Jesus, and we can begin to make a, le- a life lesson about it. I need to beat my chest and call myself a sinner. That's not what he's talking about. He, he sums it up in the end. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's once again demonstrating how his kingdom works. <clears throat> if, if, we base, if we base our lives on do's and don'ts and what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do, and not living from the Holy Spirit and what the Father is telling us what to do, then we can leave this place and, and, and not think about him one moment until we get back in here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. We can easily compartmentalize Jesus and try to add him to our lives. There are plenty of other scriptures that say, please don't do that because that's really dumb. He is the very source by which we live. <laughs> I mean, he is. He is the Christ. He is, from the very beginning, the Word was made flesh, and the Word, and the word was God, and the Word was with, was with God. And He came and He dwelt among us. He said, <laughs> He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And what He was saying is spiritually, unless I am inside you, then you are not with, we're, we're not together. I have to be with you. He was saying, it's not about just what I tell you, but that I am with you always. Until the, until the end of the days, I will never leave you or forsake you, ever. When we grasp that reality, then we begin, we begin to live from a place and not towards it. We're not trying to gain his acceptance. We're not trying to gain um, value and confidence in our own abilities, our own righteousness, our self-righteousness. None, none of you can merit the righteousness that Christ died for. None of us can. And he's just demonstrating the same, the same idea and the same truth that it's not about 
what you give, how you fast, whatever you've done that have, have checked off the boxes. And I always use the, the idea of, of Tracy and I, if I check off all these boxes, that would make me a good husband. If I did these things, if I, I always say take out the trash, take out the trash, and give her a kiss on the forehead goodbye or whatever, and, and do these things, does that equal a good relationship in and of itself? No. I could, I could hate her and still do all those things. I mean, I could, I could be fake, right? That does not make a good relationship just checking off boxes of do's and don'ts. This, is, this has always been a hard issue. This is not a how, it's a why. And it was pretty obvious that this guy was <laughs> pointing at who he thought was not as good as he was. Not recognizing that he had his own issues, but pointing out someone else's. <clears throat> not demonstrating the love that God had given him to somebody else, but just trying to keep it for himself and pointing out the flaws in anybody else. Our compassion for others is in direct relationship to our understanding of our own depravity and forgiveness. So when we, we see people, and you've prob- you'll probably get somebody in mind, see people that are hard to love, how can I love this person? How can I love this person? They're annoying, or I disagree with them, or they're doing this. How can I love this person? I want to put a footnote there, see Jesus. How can I love this person? You can't. See Jesus. How can, I, how can I love Tracy the way she deserves to be loved? I can't. I can try real hard and do my best, but at the end of the day, she, she will offend me, either intentionally or unintentionally, probably unintentionally most of the time. And I, what I say? Definitely, always, unintentionally. <laughs> Hundred percent, unintentionally, will be offended at some point. <laughs> As you laugh heartily from the second row, I got your back, Tracy. <laughs> no, so, but there will be a time when there's a disagreement, whether whatever it is, we're both flawed. I'm not just picking. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pick on you, but there will be a time. And I, I use the, I use this because I'm familiar with it. This is the most. This is the deepest covenant relationship that I have. I love all of you guys, but I, I love Tracy more. <laughs> we're closer than anyone else and it's, it's the, the closest thing in the same way scripture talks about marriage and covenant relationships that's why I use this all the time and I'm sorry Tracy gets frustrated because I call her all the time she's like please stop it's the point <laughs> sorry but I'm going to continue to do it because it's all I got <laughs> but, but what I can do is I can respond to that from my own um, in, uh, insecurities or my own issues or my own whatever I feel like I lack in on a, on a relational level or I can see Jesus and go, okay, look how screwed up I am, and he still loves me. That's how, no, that sounds bad. Tracy's not screwed up. <laughs> Let's turn to Luke 10, 25. This is not going well. I didn't plan any of this. It's just kind of coming as I go. Oh, my goodness. Luke 10, 25. Is this where we're going to go right now? <laughs> Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I'll leave that there. Amen. <laughs> that went crazy. On, <clears throat> on one occasion, and this is where we're going to hang out. I gave those others are, are good. These all kind of go hand in hand, but this is the one I want to hang out a little bit longer in pending time. On one occasion, an expert in the law, I love that, stood up to test Jesus. 
I love that. An expert in law stood up to test the Son of God. I want to test you, teacher. Yes, <clears throat> I want to test you, teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus answers the question with a question, because Jesus is great. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And this guy should have stopped there and been like, yes, this is easy. Pretty straightforward, but he doesn't. So verse 29, he says, but he wanted to justify himself. <laughs> so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, all right, <laughs> let's talk about this. You want to go there? We'll go there. <clears throat> so he says in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That's better than all dead, but he left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Then the next day he took two denarii out and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense, expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now there's a lot in here. I don't know if you caught all of that, but there's a lot going on here. I'll give you a little bit of context. If they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, if the priest and the Levite would have been coming from the temple, so they would have already performed their, their duties. Um, I'm trying. And they, and they walked down, and they walked down, uh, and they were walking down, so they had no real obligation of the law to help anybody because they'd already done what they were supposed to do up there. That's one reason. The other reason I read is that maybe they thought he, he would have been dead, which I don't think because it says he was half dead. They weren't supposed to touch, touch anyone that was dead, but then there was another law that could have exonerated them from that. So I don't think it's that. I think that part of the example was that they had already fulfilled their duties at the, um, at the temple, and so they didn't have any. And it goes along with some of the other scriptures that we just talked about in Luke, that they had already done what they were supposed to do, so they didn't have to have compassion because they would already fulfilled their version of what they thought the law was. So that's why I think part of he was trying to demonstrate that as well. I love that he throws a Samaritan in there, and I, I even scratched out this title because it says it's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's not. Scratch that out too because it's all about Jesus, and I'll get to that in a minute. But he does use Samaritan here for a specific reason. Does anybody know why? Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews thought the Samaritans were half-breeds. They weren't, they weren't fully anything, and they, they, they thought they were not good, not worthy, not good enough. They certainly didn't merit God's favor, and the Jews thought that they did. And so they hated Samaritans. And I can imagine if this guy was an expert in the law, he ain't no Samaritan, and he doesn't like them very much. And so I think Jesus is throwing a lot of kingdom in this guy's face and showing a lot of what the Father's heart is in this guy's face and messing him up pretty badly. And I think it's, it's also the reason why he didn't even say the Samaritan at the end, the guy says the one who had mercy on him, because he didn't want to say it. And, and I could take, and what we can do is, I can take this and give you a pretty good lesson, and, and it would be a good lesson on not being racist and, and, and stepping out 
and, and not walking on the other side of the road when you see somebody just because of your traditions. And those would all be good lessons, but I think they would fall short from what Jesus is trying to um, explain here. Because what, what is this all about? What is this story all about? Jesus, right? This is about Jesus. Who is the Samaritan in the story? We want to say, well, that's us. Well, we want to be like that, but that's not who we are. Jesus was the Samaritan. Jesus was, was the one that, that the Jews crucified that they didn't like. Jesus was the one that was an outcast that paid all of our debts, that said, basically, here, here's my credit card. I want to pay for everything for this guy to get better. We're the ones that are broken and on the side of the road. We're the ones that need him. And so this, this story about the Samaritan says, go and do likewise, brings this guy to the end of himself where he's got to say, okay, I'm, I'm just as depraved as anybody else. This expert in the law who's trying to test Jesus is realizing that he's the one that needs to be forgiven much so that he can love much. He's trying to show them that it's not about what you do up on the mountain in the temple if you come down off that temple and you don't care for your brother or your sister. He's trying to show them that this is who I am, and I'm not just preaching a theology or a message. I'm telling you who I am and who you've created to be, calling out identity in those guys. <clears throat> We've talked about it in here before. Jesus loved the Pharisees. He absolutely loved the Pharisees. He was frustrated with them a lot, but he loved them. The way that he tried to get them to see was he would continually tell them as they continued to attack him was, go and read what it means that I, deserve, that I desire mercy over sacrifice. And what they should have done, because they knew the Torah, is go back. I think it was in Isaiah where God was telling them, listen, I want you to take care of the orphans, and I want you to take care of the widows, and I want you to, to put a, I don't care about your burnt offerings and your traditions. I want you to love people all the way from the Old Testament. And so Jesus was telling them, listen, you guys think you have it all together, but listen, you're, you're the fathers and fathers and fathers of the Old, Old Testament didn't even get it, and God was frustrated with them because they didn't even care about people. Now you're doing the exact same thing. And you're not caring for people, and you're not loving people, and you're, you're sticking your nose up at people, and you're, you're killing people is what you're doing. You're, you're feeding them death. Listen, there's a... We have a dog. We have two dogs. And our, the youngest dog is six months old, and he just got parvo the other day. And parvo, if you don't know, is a deadly dog disease. I know very well now. Um, he went downhill fast. And naturally, it was on the weekend when no vets are open. Uh, so the, the night that we finally took him, we took to a vet ER. <laughs> it's okay. It happens to me, too. Um, we took him to a vet ER, and they basically, it was a bit of a scam, because they basically said it's going to be like $1,500 to even diagnose him. And I was like, I don't have $1,500. And I said, will he make it through the night until I can get him? This was on... Sunday? It's a Sunday night. So will he make it through the night so that I can get him to my vet in the morning and see what we can do? And I'm not, I love pets and I love animals, but I didn't have $1,500. And, and so I paid them like 150 bucks just for the visit, just for walking in there. And they gave him some anti-nausea medicine where we went home and we put him in our mud room, which is now I call like the parvo death room. Um, and this is like 11 o'clock that night. We went to sleep and woke up the next morning and that room looked like death the next day. I mean, there was, I don't want to get too detailed, but it was bad. It looked like someone was murdered in that room. I mean, it was everywhere. And I thought, this guy's not going to make it. So I drove early in the morning, drove to the, um, drove to the vet before the vet even opened and just sat on the tailgate and watched our puppy start to die. Man, his mouth was open. Flies were buzzing around him. The, <clears throat> I can't tell you the, the sight and stench of that room was like death. 
don't know if you've ever experienced that. Um, I watched my grandmother pass away, and there's nothing else like it. Um, and I thought I was going to watch him pass away on the tailgate while I'm waiting for the vet to get there. His mouth is open, flies are buzzing around him. I was like, this dude's not going to make it, you know. <clears throat> vet gets there, we go in, and we talk to him, and they're like, we, we think we can save him. And I said, all right, you know, I hate to ask, but how much is this going to cost me, man? She was like, well, it's going to be three to $800, or four to $800. And I said, well, so if I can give you some now and some later, then, you know, she said, well, you can give, give all we had, I had to, 300 to give us, so I'll give you what I can now, and, you know, we'll do the best that we can to try to make it work out, but, you know, please try to save it. And she said there was no guarantee. And, uh, you know, kids are upset. It's a pretty sad situation. Um, <clears throat> so sure enough, I mean, he stays in the vet all week. We get him back. When do we get him back? Thursday. We get him back Thursday. Friday. We get him back Friday. Yeah. It's like a different dog. I mean, he's still, he's still got a little ways to go, but, I mean, it's like night and day difference. I mean, his little, he's got a little nub. It looks like a Peter Cottontail. He's an Australian shepherd, so his little nub's shaking, and he's happy, and he's, he, he's like he's come back to life. It's like he's come from death to life. And there's nothing... You can't describe that. And I, I see how Jesus wants to give us this life and how ignorant some of us want to hang on to death. And until you see it and experience how ugly and frustrating death is, man, how, how the stench of it, um, we, talk about, we talk about renewing our minds all the time. And, uh, and I see even even in a demonstration of what life and death looks like. on a, And I don't want to insult your intelligence. I mean, he's a dog, and, and I'm not trying to, trying to paint too many pictures there. Um, but at the same time, there was a, a reality that I was witnessing of, of death and life about to happen. And he kind of, it's like he came back to life, you know. Lonnie's back there. Much, much more radical demonstration as well. Lonnie died. I mean, he was gone, and he came back. This is... This is the heart of the Father is to give us an abundant life right now. And it's not so that, so that we can look down on other people and point at them and go, look how dead they are. I mean, how stupid is that? Look how messed up they are instead of offering them the same life that Christ has died for us to have. It's just completely illogical. What's, what's equally as illogical is for us to try to put on our old dead self on this new living self. Uh, it reminds me of Weekend at Bernie's. Remember the Bernie? <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's. It's like, why are we trying to drag around this dead life all the time and try to look back at something that's not even us? The, the biggest, the biggest eye-opener for me and the, biggest, the greatest revelation for me was realizing that God was not trying to change me into something that I'm not, but actually drawing me up to the identity of who I am and who I've been created to be. It's a restoration of who you truly are. This is a much easier transition than trying to fight yourself. Because <laughs> so you're not fighting yourself anymore. You're fighting a, a, an idea, a lie of an old self that's been, already been crucified with Christ if you've accepted him. He can't be crucified anymore. Don't misinterpret the scripture about dying daily. Paul was being persecuted and he was like, I could die every day. <laughs> you don't have to kill yourself every day. That's, that's dumb. You've been crucified with Christ. Once forever. Now our minds do take time to catch up.
I kind of went off there on the dog thing. Jesus' supernatural compassion and forgiveness supersedes all of our traditions and anything that we could um, understand on our own. We're all products at some point of what we've either learned or experienced in our lives, right? At whatever age we are, we grow and we learn more and we experience more and we take those, uh, whatever we've been taught and whatever we've experienced, and we apply that to most of the situations in our life. It's a very natural, good thing that we do. There's nothing wrong with that. The only issue is the kingdom's a little different than that because it's very supernatural and it's very different than the way our kingdom works. So what happens is when Jesus forgives us and and brings us in as heirs and co-heirs and as sons and daughters into his family, our perspective shifts because now we're not just limited by our understanding (laughs) or our our own personal experiences. It opens up a huge amount of love that we can't actually contain or understand. Because now we carry something that is above and greater than ourselves. The fact that Jesus didn't send like a message for us to come meet him but came to us speaks volumes of who he is and how much he cares. Because the same way that we reach people now. We talked about, well, the last few weeks about jewels and relationships and how we build them. The truth about the gospel is we're... (laughs) We are extremely impatient people, and we want to see people change immediately. And God is very patient, so much so that he allowed Jesus to live for 33 years before he performed his first miracle. I mean, can you imagine Jesus going, look, I've got to save the world here. <laughs> can we get this thing going? But he gave him time to build relationships with people and get to know people and see people and feel people's hurts. And I'm sure there were people that died and people that weren't healed up until that point. And he, he understood that. He got to live it right next to us. The same thing that the Lord was speaking to me at the very beginning of the service about Emmanuel, God with us, is the same thing I want to wrap up with. You don't have the ability to, to fix everybody's problems. And I know many of you, and that is your heart. You want to fix people. I'm the same way. I want to fix everybody, man. I want to see people live free, and I want to see people... Um, not bound up in sin, not bound up in self-righteousness. There's lots of different versions of it. But the most liberating thing that I think that you can know, hopefully that you can know today, is that Christ died for those people too, and you, you cannot shortcut the Holy Spirit in their lives. We are called to throw seeds out. We, we get caught up in the Scripture that talks about the different types of soil, and we want to debate about what they are. Were they truly saved? Were they not saved? Is it once saved, always saved? All these different things we want to get caught up in. And I believe the whole point of that message was, it's not your job to make these things grow. It's my job. Just throw the seeds out. So the most liberating thing for me was love people freely. Even if you don't agree with them, you can still love them. Let me say that again. (laughs) Loving people does not require you to agree with them. Love is the great equalizer. It changes everybody's perspective. I've had conversations with a friend of mine who I've known for years now who does not believe currently. I'm still praying for him. I I know he will. He says everything is black and white, man. Everything's black and white. And now he's in a relationship. Is everything black and white now? Why are you making these decisions? He was like, well, this is the reason. No, it's not. It's because you love her. 
It's like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, it's different. Uh, yeah, no, that's what it is. Now, now things have changed. It's not all black and white now. I've said it, I've said it many times. Laws neat. Rules are neat. Relationship is messy. It's always going to be messy. <clears throat> but it's worth it. Here's why. When you extend love beyond your own ability to love people because you're either hurt or you, you disagree with them, when you love people beyond that, you demonstrate a love that God has given you that's outside of your own ability. It's a very supernatural love. So think about this a moment. When you love people outside of your own ability, you are demonstrating God's love through you to them. And this seems really simple. I know it does when I'm saying it. Even coming out of my mouth, it seems simple, but it's very profound, I promise you. When you speak, your words are carrying power. And so when you speak to people in love, their lives are changed whether you see it or not. We've talked about acorns and caterpillars and birds, and we can use analogies all you want. An acorn's an oak tree. This caterpillar's a butterfly. Before they ever demonstrate this reality, you speak it in their lives and you're calling it up in them. You can't change them on your own. You can't. You couldn't change yourself on your own. The reality that you find that you can't change yourself on your own will free you up to actually minister to people in love that you can't change on your own anyway. Christ came that we could be set free, not just from sin, but from our own lack, because he feels all things in every way. So now you're not operating to take things from people. You are operating to give things from them. These guys that were separating themselves from sinners were not separate from them at all. All they were doing was demonstrating their ignorance of their, their lack of understanding that they needed a Savior just as much as them. How did they demonstrate it? Because they didn't have love. Do you see it? It's, not, it's almost not like cause and result, but it's result and cause. They were demonstrating that they didn't get it because they didn't have compassion for people. And Jesus was saying, this is the result of you not understanding of who I am and how much you need me. The result of it is that you begin to judge people and you begin to condemn people instead of trying to bring them into a place that you don't even know exists at this moment. Do you see it? Do you see the cause and result there? It says we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And while we were, while we were still sinners, he loved us. So how do we love other people? the same way. This is real simple. Real basic. Stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you guys. Something I talk about um, when I perform a marriage is the difference between covenant and contract. And some of you have heard that. Mark used to preach it as well. The relationships we come into, um, especially with marriage, is a covenant relationship. I want to encourage you, the relationships that you make with other people to make those covenant relationships not just contract relationships. What I mean by that is contractual relationships are relationships that people enter into, and a contract is, is something that people enter into that don't trust each other because if you break the contract, then I'm out kind of thing. So I don't trust you, so we have to have some kind of contract. There's a basis by which we're friends, and I've had people tell, that, tell me before, you know, like there were like things that we had to do to be friends. I'm like, that's exhausting. We're just not friends anymore. <laughs> I can't keep up with all this. If you're gonna if you're gonna make this list of what I've got to do to be your friend, then maybe we're not really friends. And so a, a covenant means, no, I'm for this person regardless of what happens, whether it's a week or a month or a year, we don't see each other. 
listen, whatever happens, I am, I am supporting, I am praying for, I am loving, I am caring for this person regardless of what's going on. That's a covenant relationship. Those are relationships I want you guys to seek out. Seek out those kind of relationships because those kind of relationships supersede uh, circumstances. Because if you're weighing on circumstances, you're not going to have very many friends. And if you're looking to them to fill you instead of abiding in Christ, you're not going to have many friends because they're going to let you down. So look for, when we leave this place, I want you to look for covenant relationships because that's what Christ did for us. He created covenant relationships with people that didn't deserve to have covenant relationships. We should be doing the same thing. Father, thank you for the reality that we can see your truth above our own, even above our own understanding. It says that, that your Holy Spirit is even above our own conscience. We think our conscience is some kind, of, some kind of guide, and even that can trick us. We can, think, we can think poorly of ourselves, and you're saying, you're my son and you're my daughter. And we're going, you know, I'm not worthy of that. And you're going, I know, I, I, I understand that. But you are, you're a son, you're a daughter. You're heirs and co-heirs, of, and you are in my family now. And so there's a reality now that you don't, you don't have to follow your history, your, your DNA, your bloodline, your, uh, your, your culture, the environment that you grew up in, the neighborhood. You don't have to follow those things because now you, you are royalty. You are, you are kings and queens in the kingdom with Christ. This is the reality of who you are. So now you don't boast in yourself, but you boast in Christ. So, Father, help us to see that reality when we leave this place, that, that your Holy Spirit goes with us and that we are temples and that we are, we are walking and talking Holy Spirit carriers. And the words that we, we speak can give life or death. Father, help us to see that we need to speak life into people. And that abundant life is the truth and the reality to them and call it up out of them and so that you can do a work in them and it's not up to us to do it. So we thank you for that reality. In Jesus' holy name, amen.